As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your scriptures to Luke 12, you also find in your bulletin, you'll find the uh, scripture that we'll be looking at today there, as well as an outline. So let me direct your attention there again. Happy Father's Day. And listen, if you want to be a great father, become a great husband. Really, becoming a great husband will greatly bless your family, your children. I try to work on my marriage even this weekend. Friday, Katie and I celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. Thank you. Let's see, I didn't bring him a card or a present. I'll clap. Okay, that works. So thank you very much. Um, But we went to a marriage conference this weekend. It was called A Weekend to Remember. As a matter of fact, it's going on right now, but I love you so much. I would rather be with you uh, than be there. And I I know all that stuff anyway. I got it all down. So anyway, it was a weekend to remember. I can't remember all things, but there are three things I want to share with you. And by the way, this is just extra stuff. Uh, This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, um, but this is just some great stuff to have on Father's Day. Things that I remembered. Three things that I learned that I want to share with you about this weekend. First of all, all of you who have ADD and listen to me preach every week, I feel your pain. I love you. I'm just thankful for you. I mean, I'm trying to multitask in this whole thing. And uh, hey, by the way, I learned something else. Um, Probably not a good idea at a marriage conference to check the U.S. Open scores on your phone. I just want to give a little advice there. Maybe you don't want to do that. But for all you with ADD that listen every week, blessings to you. Thank you very much. You know what else I learned? That was embarrassing. You know this, and some of you say, I knew this all along, but I'm kind of a girly man. I I really am. They they give us categories about how you want to respond to one another, and and usually they'd say, now some of you want to have your feelings expressed, and and some of you really are kind of touchy-feely, I'm kind of nodding, and says, okay, women, I'll raise your hand. I'm like, oh, nuts! Earn it! That's me. And then also, I also learned another thing that's... uh, very true of me. I like speaking a whole lot better than listening. That's why God made me a preacher, and I'm so excited. You know, last week, uh, we tackled a difficult sin. As we, if you're here today visiting, we're in the midst of a series uh, called Orangewood's Ten Deadly Sins. And the reality is, they're probably not just unique to us. As the head shepherd and chief uh, pastor here, the head pastor, I got to tell you, I do see these in my own life and it's so humbling and I see them in our body and things that we need to wrestle with. So if you're here, uh, we are on week four. God is doing incredible work through the work of this sinner. I mean, every week he reveals to me the depths or a, a greater degree of the depths of the sin in which I'm about ready to preach on in my own life. And I promise you, it's humbling. I promise you, I'm running to Jesus every day and saying, guilty is charged. But you still want me to stand in front of these people that I love and more importantly, that you love and your son rescued and talk about difficult subjects. So it's so good to journey together. Uh, Remember that God is for us. He's good. He's empowered us that we can do all things through Christ. And the gospel sets us free to take off our mask. And to be honest... 
And so if you're here, uh, maybe for the first time or a regular visitor, let me just say, get comfortable. It's all right. You're among fellow sinners. Uh, no one beside you has, has been cured of these. That's why we're preaching on them. And that's why it's important that we go to God's word and learn and wrestle together. But last week, I started off by asking you this question. How is your lust problem? Immediately, some shifting, some head nodding. You look around, who's he talking to? And we realize that it's, it's, it's all of us are going to struggle in one degree or another. And today, the question we can start off with is, how is your greed problem? How are you doing with materialism? How are you doing with your life as far as accumulating wealth? And where does that rank on importance of your life? How much time do you spend trying to pursue the things of life that supposedly make us happy, that supposedly bring life? How are you doing with your greed problem? It's funny, I'm uh, preaching on this today, and, and uh, one of our deacons noticed, hey, Jeff, uh, nice master shirt you're wearing. Say, so, oh, yeah, what are you preaching on? Greed. Good job. <laughs> But it's an amazing link that Scripture has between lust and greed. Because really, I think that every single one of us would say that lust is a problem. We don't necessarily want to own that. But again, the gospel is going to set us free. And the more that we understand who we are in Christ, and the more we're able to turn to God and say, I'm guilty, but your son's not. And his righteousness is, is covering me, and his blood has washed me clean. And again, lust is one of those things in the church where well, every single one of us has said it's bad. But, but greed is one of those acceptable ones. It's a sin that we don't necessarily see. It's a sin that we don't necessarily deal with very much as a church. As a matter of fact, our society usually applauds it. I mean, those who are able to accumulate and those who are able to gather, and that's not bad in and of itself. It's a blessing of God. But we've got to look at the heart behind that. What is the, what is the real reason that's driving us. Listen to what Ephesians 5.3 says as we begin, because it's going to take lust and greed, it's going to link them together. Because Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's telling them, he says, now listen, in verse chapter 5, verse 1, he says, as dearly beloved children, and for all of you by God's grace who've been rescued, who have been set free because of the work of Christ, who have had their sins forgiven, for those of you who have made this incredible, gracious transfer from natural children of wrath to children of God, he says this in Ephesians 5.1, Now therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. This incredible transfer has taken place. We who deserve God's wrath and displeasure and banishment and hell itself have been graciously given love, lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And you ready for this? Because of Jesus, that is what we are. And now, therefore, as dearly loved children, imitate God. You've got to realize you can't imitate what you don't know. Uh, and he goes on and says, we need to live a life of love. And then he comes to verse 3 in Ephesians 5. But among you, you being the children of God... There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Okay, last week. Basically saying, this shouldn't even be anywhere in, a, in, in our lives. There shouldn't even be uh, the hint of that. Or any other kind of impurity. Okay, listen to this. Or of greed. Interesting. Interesting connection right there that God's word gives us. Of talking about a heart 
that has a propensity to run toward lust. It's a lustful heart that can also run toward greed. Because he says this, because these are improper. They're not right. They're wrong. They're improper for the Lord's people. And again, I want to begin this week, every week, end this week, every week with the joy of being the Lord's people. And the the sermon today, if you are not a child of the King, the message is there's good news as we hear about this, that we have a God who loves, who's gracious, and loves to rescue. And it's my hope and prayer that every single one of you this morning can have the unbelievable, life-changing joy of being able to say, I am one of the Lord's. I am of the Lord's children. I belong to the Lord's people. And if that is you, and I know many of you, that is true, that is you, that is me, we must look to do that which is proper in this incredible privilege of ours of being called God's children. Okay, let's open up our scriptures or our bulletins or the words will be behind me. Let's be mindful that we're reading God's holy and errant word. It will never lead us astray. We're going to look at a story out of uh, Luke 12, starting in verse 13, going through verse 21. An incredible encounter Jesus has with a crowd and a question in the crowd. But again, let's just be mindful that this is God's holy word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, there's a family dispute here. Uh, Even on Father's Day, we have family disputes. We don't know a lot of the details, but what we know is there's a crowd. What we know is there's one who recognizes Jesus as at least rabbi, at least one with authority, at least one that should know. And he's going to go to him and say, teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance. Now, we don't know what was happening uh, with this uh, in that custom, in the Jewish custom. The oldest brother would have a double portion of the inheritance. Maybe the younger brother was asking for his fair share. Maybe he wanted something more than he was entitled to. But what we know through the context of this is that he was greedy. Because that's what Jesus is going to deal with. So Jesus, and again, this is often Jesus' tendency. Uh, Jesus rarely answers a question directly. Jesus, with a great one who's called Wonderful Counselor, meaning he's all wise, he sees behind the question to the real issue, and he's going to get to it. So what seemingly is, again, bizarre behavior, he's asked a point-blank question, he starts to get to the core of things, saying this. Jesus replied in verse 14, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Now he, so he talked to the, to the individual, now he's turning to the crowd, he says to them, Watch out, basically keep your eye on this, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And listen, underline that next part. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man, this is a, this is a substantial piece of ground, it could be the country, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance, an abundant harvest. 
He thought to himself, I want you to look at the personal pronouns, I, me, my, in this story. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. When he's saying this to himself, it says here in the Greek, he's saying them actually to his soul. But God said to him, you fool. Man, I don't know about you, but those are words I never want to hear from God. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Literally, your soul will be asked back. Then you will get what you have prepared. Then what will you get? Then you will get what you have. Then who will get? Easy for me. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. Let us pray. Father God, here we are again in a difficult situation. With your word before us, surrounded by our church family, needing desperately to hear from Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of your Savior that are recorded here. But God, they're hard words. Father, in a lot of ways, I'd rather not really deal with this text. I'd rather kind of forget about it and go ahead and live my life, check it off, and not let it affect it too much. But God, you have this for us today because we are your dearly loved children and you want us to hear and you want us to respond because we need to live our lives in a way that bring us life and bring you glory. So Father, I pray that you would do only that which you could do that you would speak through a broken sinner that's guilty. Guilty of, of having a heart that's materialistic and full of greed oftentimes. So Father, my wisdom's not going to be enough. We need the wisdom of Jesus. So come and speak. Open up our ears to hear your voice. Father, I mean... Right now, your Holy Spirit needs to work on those hearts that are hard, those hearts that are prideful, those hearts that don't think they even need this message, but they do. So soften them. Make make our hearts fertile ground for the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that uh, you would also empower our feet so that we would walk out of here in obedience. Father, if we just hear and we just have a few moments of maybe 
you know, challenge and we just walk out and our lives don't change, then, then, then you weren't here and it wasn't worth it. But God, for your glory, for your church, for your kingdom, please may we walk out of here in obedience because the world needs to see your children responding in faith to your truth unapologetically. That's a tall order, God. Only you can do all these things. But we ask that as you do it, you receive glory. We receive great joy and great challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've told you over the years that I'm a lover of bumper stickers, uh, bumper sticker theology. Uh, One that seemed to be popular several years ago. It said this, basically, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Some of you said what came out after that still dies. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the first one that came out was this. The one who dies with the most toys, he's the winner. So what are they trying to communicate to us through that bumper sticker? What's the message? What's their lifestyle? What's their purpose? What's their goal? What's the meaning of their life? I mean, they're saying it right there on their car. They're proclaiming it to the world. Basically, that life is about the accumulation of abundance. It's about the pursuit of it. It's about obtaining it. It's about getting to the end of your life and saying, I have the most toys, therefore I will win. It's interesting because the text that we are looking at really is the implications of Mark 8.36. Mark 8.36, you may want to note that. Uh, it's, it's a passage where Jesus says this incredible, these incredible words. He's thinking basically of that sticker saying, what good is it to obtain the whole world, to get the most toys, to get all this stuff? What good is it to gain everything that life has to offer and yet forfeit your very soul? Really, this whole story that's unfolding before us is the reality of what one is doing to gain the whole world, and yet who will be forfeiting even that night his very soul. You see, greed has an issue in our lives because it's going to distort our lives. And if we aren't careful, we will be living our lives with the bumper sticker, maybe not clearly, but the bumper sticker that says, basically, my life is a pursuit of toys. Because greed will distort, this is the first point, greed distorts our view of life. I love what Scripture says right at the beginning of this story. Jesus makes it very, very clear in verse 15. He says, now listen, watch out for this. Watch out, be on your guard. Because when we live like we do, in an incredible country, with incredible blessings, with incredible stuff, we got to really be on our guard. Watch out. Watch out. In verse 15, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Begin with, he says this, the abundance of possessions is insufficient reason for living. It's looking at that bumper sticker and say, it's wrong. That's not a reason to have life. And we got to realize this in two different ways. One is this. The pursuit of abundance is insufficient reason for a living. This man had a pursuit. He basically was saying to himself, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to the point where I can live. I'm going to get to the point where I can enjoy the good life. 
I'm going to get to that point where I could say to myself, and unbelievably, this is what he says to himself. You ready for this? Look what he says. He says, I will store up enough where I'll say to myself, listen, eat, drink, be merry. He's quoting what the Epicureans, the hedonists, the atheists would quote that life is all about. Get to the point where you can live. Get to the point where you have enough stuff. Get to the point where you can just take it easy. Get to that point. So he was really started off with the pursuit of abundance. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to work as many hours as I can work. I'm going to store as much as I can store. I'm going to do as much as I can do. I'm going to pursue the good life. And we got to realize just even the pursuit of that, especially young people. I mean, so many of you are so talented uh, with so many incredible opportunities before you. And what the world's going to tell you, this is going to bring you life. This is going to bring you happiness. This is going to bring you status. This is going to bring you joy. And let me tell you, it's a lie. It's from the pit of hell. It smells like smoke. And it's not going to bring you life. The pursuit of it is not going to bring you life. And yet, he says, I'm going to pursue these things because on the other end of it is that, that day where I can say, ah, right, take it easy. Relax. Kick, out, kick back. But not just the pursuit. The attainment of abundance is not living. Because even when he gets to the point where he has the big barns, where he's going to build the big barns and have that abundance, having abundance is not sufficient reason for living. That's not it. I got such incredible good news for you. I got some really, really good news for you. God wants so much more for your life. He wants to give you abundance in him that goes so much greater beyond the, what the world can offer Again, I love what Lewis says. I quote it often. God has never created a soul so small that the whole world could fill it. The accumulation of all the abundance cannot fill what God has created for you. He's created you a soul, given you a soul that only He can fill in the way that brings life, meaning, and joy. And that's what the gospel is all about. You see, my brothers and sisters in Christ, listen. This is what Jesus is telling us today. That greed distorts our view of living. And it will tell us that we should pursue it and, and that we should obtain it and that will be life. That's wrong. Listen, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. You want to live? Live out the gospel. You want to live? Live out the reality of the life that we can have in Christ. That is truly living. Listen, for every single one of you, man, woman, and child, God wants you to live now. Not to wait to some point where you've accumulated. Not to wait to some point where you've finally wrestled through certain sin. Today. Today God wants to give you life and life abundantly in Christ. He wants you to live out that life today. Fully. Broken sinner like yourself and like me. Maybe not having the material wealth that you want to have. Maybe not having the stuff. But Christians, Jesus came so we can have life and life abundantly. The worst thing we could do is to show the dying world that we're in the same rat race. That we believe the same lie. That accumulating wealth is going to bring us happiness. That the pursuit of wealth is going to bring us happiness. What is the only thing that could ever bring us happiness? His name is? We got it. Jesus came to bring us what? Life. And life abundantly. And now the good news of the gospel, Jesus says, just live it out. Just walk. Walk walk as an imitator of God, as a dearly loved child. Broken. It's okay. I'm, I've fixed you and I'm fixing you. Needy. It's okay. I love you and I'm providing for you. You know, it's interesting. The, uh, the bumper sticker wars of 
Christians and non-Christians. We come out with fish, they put legs on it, you know? Um, they come out with something, we counter. And uh, we counter. You know, the Christian uh, uh, marketers seem to counter with the bumper sticker, he who dies, the one who dies with the most toys wins. What was our response? He still dies. Listen, that shouldn't be our response. It's the wrong response. It's wrong. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they die. I, I know that. Where's the hope in that? You're going to die, friend. Go to hell. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy. No, 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 no. Our response needs to be Zoe, life, life, life. He who dies with Jesus has life and life abundantly. He who lives with Jesus has life and life abundantly. He who's been set free by the Son is free indeed. He who's been made a child of the King is rich indeed. Our response has got to be life now. Listen, not for some other point. My brothers and sisters, God is calling us today to say, no, we don't believe that that greed has the answer for life. It distorts life. We find that life is found in Christ. And we follow hard after him. Especially after my confession about being a girly man, I got to mention a brave, a manly movie. Braveheart. You guys like Braveheart? All right. In Braveheart, it's an amazing uh, line I love. Uh, at the end of William Wallace's life, and I've done some research. We're not sure he actually said this, but man, it sounded really good in the movie. At the end of his life, he says this, everyone dies, even the one with the most toys. Everyone dies. But not everyone really lives. Life can't be found in stuff. A pursuit or obtainment of stuff. And as Christians, listen, we are the only ones on this planet that are truly living as God desires life to be. And if we as Christians have the same view of what life's pursuit is all about and the attaining of wealth and abundance, shame on us. Shame on us. Shame on us. Because we're lying to the world that that's what's life all about. Our lives should be radically different. I'm not saying make the abundance. Excel in what you do. That's what you're supposed to do for God's glory. But we got to live our lives in a way that the world knows that this, our identity is not in our stuff. It's not in our house. It's not one on our business card. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. He's the lover of our souls. He's the meaning of our life. He's the purpose of our life. That's the one who gives us life and life abundantly. It's about Him. And we're going to live our lives so, so with our hands open, saying He can give and He can take, but he can, He'll never change His mind about me. It's all about Jesus. And shame on us if we live our lives in the pursuit of abundance the same way the world is. And all we're going to do is walk out here and say, there's no difference with this Jesus. See, that's what greed does for us. It distorts our view of life. It also distorts our view of, of ourselves. Again, look again at verses 17 through 19. And what I want you to hear is the number of personal pronouns. I mean, this is amazing. This man is living in an absolute vacuum. I mean, he's going to get abundance. He's going to thank God. He's going to talk to others about him. This man has set himself up as it. He's it. And this is what greed will do. It'll distort your view of yourselves. 
It says in verse 17, so he thought to himself, again, here starts the vacuum. He's going to think to himself, what shall I do? I mean, the amazing thing is here, what shall I do? It's, it, there's such passion here. He doesn't know what to do. I mean, he's, he's like, what do I do in my abundance? I mean, i got so much. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's fretting over what he has. I mean, it's basically the same kind of plea that a beggar might have. What do I do to obtain bread? This one is saying, what do I do with all my stuff? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no, more, I have no uh, place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my, my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You see, greed will distort the view of ourselves. This man is asking all the wrong questions to the wrong person. Can you see how incredibly void it is of God? I mean, does this man say, thank you, God, for the abundance. I know I had nothing to do with it. Thank you so much for providing. God's not even on his mind. It's not only void of God, it's void of others. There's no community here. I mean, well, the original audience that's hearing this would very clearly say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This man has that much and he's living in a community around him with poor people? He's living in a community around him with needs that are so clear? Are you kidding me that he's not going to ask the church? He's not going to ask his friends, the elders? He's going to ask no one what he should do to invest his wealth in the kingdom of God? This guy's not going to ask anyone except himself? Are you kidding me? What an incredible distorted view of himself. And, and isn't it true that we live in a society that says, my wealth is none of your business? Let me tell you, it's none of your business, Pastor. I make what I make, I make it, I work hard, and I don't need you or anybody else telling me what to do with my wealth. That's what wealth will do. It'll distort the view of yourself. You've elevated yourself on the throne. That's all about you, it's all about me, that we're going to control it. And I'm the same way. I, mean, I, I, who, who, I don't want people nosing in my stuff, but until we understand family, until we understand a, cum, uh, a community, until we understand that God has called us together, if we're asking questions just about our possessions, only in a vacuum of ourselves, without God and without one another, we're in trouble because ourselves will always lead us astray. He thought he was the right person to ask. Let me tell you something, his judgment was flawed. Why do I know that? Because here's what Scripture says. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And yet he's going to realize that's, that's, that's okay. Are you asking God about your wealth? About your money? If you have two nickels or if you have millions of them? Are you asking God what to do with his money? Are you asking God and other godly men and women in your life? Because let me tell you, greed distorts the view of yourself. And if you're handling your wealth in a vacuum of yourself, you're like this man. And this man thought he could have the right answers. And all those personal pronouns should make your stomach turn. They make God's stomach turn. Greed distorts our view of life. It distorts our view of ourself. It distorts the view of our possessions. Again, he was in anguish. What shall I do? Listen, here's what he did. This is, this is really, this is so important for us all. The first thing is this. He had the wrong view of how he got them. He had the wrong view of how he got them. Okay, he's a farmer. Maybe many of you haven't lived near farms. I have. 
Um, I grew up by farms. It's this time of year you start seeing the corn come up. And uh, every year the farmers work equally hard to get that seed in the ground. Okay? And then there's some years it's supposed to be knee high. Every year it's supposed to be knee high by 4th of July in our area. And some years it's not. Why? Because some years there's no rain. Some years there's too much rain. Uh, Some years there might be certain pests. Can I ask you a question? What did this man have to do to get in abundance? What did he do? Oh, yeah, he did some work on the front end. But really, who provided the abundance? I mean, come on. What did he do? What did he do? How can he say, my crops? How in the world can he take possession of his crops? How can he say, mine? Okay? I know a lot of real estate attorneys and a lot of real estate people, and you were incredibly busy a few years ago. I mean, it was amazing how busy you were. I mean, I know that you had more billable hours than you've ever had at real estate attorneys. I know you worked more, more, more hours. Can I ask you a question? Did you, re, did you really have anything to do with that? And now that the real estate market is, do you have really anything to do with that? I mean, really, how much effect do you have on the economy? What are you really responsible? Let's talk about this for a minute. Let's go a little bit farther. Those of you uh, who were born in America, how much, uh, how much credit do you take for that? Those that have brains and have the ability to make incredible business deal and money, how much credit do you take for that? Maybe you've worked hard. But is it not God's grace that you have what you have? Your ability, your talent, your mind? What do you have? What do you really have that can call your own? How about in the economy? What do you really have? Let me tell you what you have. You know what you have? The same thing I have. Is it really our own? Let's be honest. It's our sin. The only thing we can call our own is that is our sin. Everything else we have, our ability, where we grew up, our heritage, is by the grace of God. Okay? And so when this man is starting to say, look at my crops, he completely misunderstood where his abundance came from. It didn't come from him. It came from who? God. And until we realize that, we're in trouble too. He had the wrong view of how you get them. He had a wrong view of whose they are. He did. He had a wrong view of whose they are. He thought he got them, and then he thought he owned them. And so it says this. He says, my crops, my barns, my surplus. He even says, I will tell to my soul. And if we are believing that we are the owners of our stuff, right away we have been disqualified to make decisions on how to use our stuff because we got the wrong owner. Are you understanding this? Whatever you have really has been given to you on loan from God to invest richly into his kingdom. Every single thing, your time, your talent, your treasures, they've all been given to you by God. And if you're saying my 401k, my bank account, my job, my stuff, my house, you got the wrong word before that stuff. It's God's money, God's 401k, God's retirement. God's house, God's, they have been given to us from him. And anyone who thinks they're his own has already been disqualified from being able to really make these decisions. All right, tomorrow morning you get up and you check your bank account and you have nothing. And you call your banker. I bet you some of you guys have a certain picture of who that might be. We have several here. And you say, okay, hey, I want to know what happened. I have no money in my account. And the banker said, I spent it. I took your money and uh, I took the money and I, I, I gave it away to some good causes. I, I did what I thought I should do with it. 
And how would you respond if you called your banker and you have no money in your account and they said they spent it all? I imagine there'd be a heated conversation that probably starts off, who in the world gave you the right? Something like that, in a loving Christ-like tone. You see, the problem would be is that you believe that you have the right to that money, certainly the banker doesn't, and that you should be making the decisions. But let's say that we see God as the one who has given us all these resources, and it's true. And really that we got to be going to God and, and saying, how do I, how should I invest the resources you've given to me? Because really what we've done is we say, we spend it any way we want, because we think we own it. You see, greed will do that. Greed is going to really distort the way we see life. It's going to distort the way we see ourselves. And it's going to distort our possessions. It even gives him the wrong view of his soul. I mean, it gets to the, the arrogance in this is incredible. It gets to the point where he says, I'm going to say to my soul. I'm going to get to the point where i got these big new barns. And all this stuff and life is going to be on easy street. And I'm going to say to my soul, my soul, take it easy, man. You've obtained it. Eat, drink, be merry. But he didn't realize that even his soul wasn't his. Unbelievably, here's what it says. Tonight, you fool. Tonight, you fool. That soul that God lent to you, he's going to ask back. It's going to be given back to the one who gave it to you. See what greed does? We think it's about our life. We think it's about our stuff. We think it's about our pursuits. And God just gets pushed farther and farther away. And pretty soon we think it's about our soul. And it's his. And he's going to ask for it back. See, greed distorts our view of abundance. What shall I do? Greed distorts our view of abundance. Do you know that we, according to Beth Moore, and I think she makes a great point, we're the only country in the world that has storage facilities. Our houses, our houses aren't big enough for our stuff. So we're going to pay someone else to hold on to our stuff that's important. Maybe greed has distorted our view of abundance. I don't think anyone here is in any danger of tearing down their barns. We don't have any. We tear down our kitchens, our houses, our stuff. I didn't like that one. That's too close to home. But I think it does really affect our view of abundance. Let me, let me ask this question. And this, this is, God's put this on my heart. What if abundance was a sin? What if we're not supposed to have it? What if we're really supposed to live our lives in such an incredible kingdom-giving way that we are praying for our daily bread? You know, I, I think that uh, we'll see that lust is a problem we'll drive out. But greed, eh. Richard Pryor, funny man. Um, screwed up man. Um, 
He was in a movie with John Candy, some of the funniest people uh, I've ever seen, called Brewster's Millions. Old movie, dates me. It's an interesting premise. There's a uh, minor league baseball player played by Richard Pryor that was getting an inheritance. And he was going to get $300 million inheritance with only one twist. He, had, he was given $30 million dollars. And he had to spend it, couldn't give it away, had to spend it in 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, he couldn't have any assets to his name. Pretty interesting. And you saw the dilemma of trying to spend money and how hard it was to spend and not accumulate. And the whole deal was he was spending like crazy, couldn't tell anybody, by the way, couldn't tell anybody what he was doing, defaulted. So everybody thought he was completely whacked because he had $30 million in 30 days. He's trying to get rid of it all and have nothing to his name so he can inherit $300 million. In a way, Christians, this is what God has done for us. He says, listen, there's an inheritance, child of the king. There's an inheritance that you have in Christ. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, they're yours today, by the way. You're going to reign and rule with Christ. You're going to have an inheritance that there's such good news. The economy can't touch. Moss can't get to. Rust, thieves. Don't worry, it's, it's there. So now as you live your life, any resource I give you is mine. I want you to live your life in such a way that you're investing and you're becoming rich in God. Rich in God. Rich in the kingdom. Because listen, I, I, got, I got a life insurance policy that's eternal. My arms are around you. I'll never let you go. I have riches for you that may not be in this world's mind, but in God's. So go. Go and live your life and be rich of God. We've got to realize that greed, lastly, is in direct conflict with God. We just can't be running on the same track. It just doesn't work. We can mask it. We can make it look good, but the reality is, look at verse 21. This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but are not rich to God. If you're greedy, if you're wrestling with a sin, you cannot be rich toward God. They are not on the same track. If we're striving to be rich to God, what will it look like? How do I know? How do I know, Jeff? Am I, am I being rich to God? Let me ask you a few questions. How do you view your possessions? Are they yours? How do you view the pursuit of your life? What's your goal? Another great indicator. Are you tithing? Are you, are you trusting God, saying this is all his? I mean, he's made it very, very clear, the top 10%. It's all 100% his, but I'm going to be obedient. Are you generously giving? Are you sharing of your time? Are you sharing of your uh, uh, treasures, whatever God has given to you? These are the indicators. I mean, your checkbook won't lie to you. Your daytimer will not lie to you. Are you truly living for the gospel? Are you truly saying, I've been set free from the rat race? Let me close by pointing us to Jesus. Because he had abundance. Oh, man, he had riches. 
Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, had it all. Had it all. Had it all. I mean, the King of glory had it all. And what does he do? He left it. He left it. He didn't build bigger barns. He left the barns. Listen, he destroyed the barns of his own body. He came and he became a, a man and he walked among us and more than a man. He became a servant and more than a servant. He became a servant that was going to die for our sins. He emptied himself so that we could be rich. He who was rich became poor so that poor folks like you and me, poor in, in spirit, poor in life, could be made rich and have riches that will never fade away. Look to Jesus, the one who had it all. Did not hoard any of it. Everything he had, the love he had for his father, he shared. The wealth of heaven, he shared. The ability to rule and reign, he shared. Life, he shared. How did he do it? By tearing down the barns of his life and not building bigger ones, but building you and me into children of God. May the love of Christ compel us to say, we are going to say, forget greed. It can't give us life. It can't give us the meaning and joy. We're going to live for Jesus because he's made us rich. And we're going to show this world a life that says no to greed and yes to living out the gospel. And oh, what a story. See, the one with the most toys was Jesus. And he died so we could win. The one with the most toys, his name is Jesus, and he died so we can win. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you love us enough. You love us enough, Father, not to let material possessions define us. You love us so much that you're not going to let our greed be the final answer and the pursuit of our life and the pursuit and the obtaining of wealth is what defines us. God, you want for us something so much more. You've given us the greatest gift. It's the gift of your Son. And through his poverty, we who deserve your wrath have been made rich in Christ. Oh, the riches in Christ. God, may they be enough for us, your children. God, forgive us. Please take our eyes off of ourselves. Please, God, allow us to lift our eyes above our possessions to see the King of glory. God, give us a hunger for yourself. That which can only fill us. God, forgive us. We've lived our lives like pagans. We've run the race that they're running, believing somehow that if we've obtained it, we're going to eat, drink, and be merry. In Christ, we eat, drink, and are merry because we have life and life abundantly. And Father, I pray for the one here this morning, maybe the many that have never embraced Christ as Savior. Maybe they're, they're trying to add you into the portfolio. Maybe they're really living their lives trying to just get stuff. God, I pray that you'd graciously deal with them and show them that really life and life abundantly is only found in Jesus. And today would be the day, today would be the day when they ask you into their life.
asking you to forgive their sins and embracing Christ as Savior. God, for the many of us, the one who sits on this stool that oftentimes lives alive, our lives, pursuing that which the world says is worth pursuing, and we've taken our eyes off of you, forgive us. And Father, I thank you that you've made many in this room with the incredible ability to make abundance. That's great. But it's what we do with that abundance. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us that is a child of the King, that God, we would be free to live our lives with hands and arms wide open, knowing that we have nothing of our own except our sin. And we, God, we at Orangewood, God, please make us rich to God, rich toward God, and not to ourselves, for Christ and His kingdom, because it's not about us. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.